rejoice in this church. I watched my brother get married in this church. You guys are my home church. From now until the day I die. I'm sorry. Woo! Was not expecting that. All right, that's out of the way. Good. Let's just get into the Word. God's Word is sufficient in everything. Um, But no, I am truly honored to be here, truly honored to stand before you. I love you. I pray for you. I love the mission that you are doing here in Seaford. Um, I love what you guys are all about, which is preaching the gospel of Christ. That is what we do. So thank you for being faithful to that mission. Um, I will say that I did get some flack for being here this morning from the pastoral staff that I am on because they were making fun of me because when Michael asked me to come here, I thought it was just, hey, you know, come take a Sunday and preach. I'm like, oh, cool, that sounds great. I did not know it was going to be Legacy Sunday. Um, So I've been called old for (laughs) the, uh, since Michael has asked me and I told Pastor Doug, he's like, oh, Legacy Sunday, man, you're old. I'm like, yeah, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I am honored to be here. And I think this text is actually very fitting for me being here because as I look out into the, in, into the congregation, I see you saints, I do see a lot of familiar faces. I see a lot of people that I knew growing up, some people I were terrified of, some people not so much. But I see a lot of you, and you guys probably do remember me as the kid that was getting yelled at by Dr. Richard, the kid that was sitting up against the wall waiting for my dad to find me because I was running during Wednesday night dinner, the kid that spilled his drink too many times. Um, and now I stand before you, and I, I, I'm a pastor of a wonderful children's ministry. Um, it is the joy of my life to teach children about Christ. Um, I think it is vitally important that we lay the foundation of Christ with them now, um, and then passing them on to our, our, our youth pastor, Kevin, and then so on out into the world. And that I am a different person now than I was when I was here at Seaford. I am a different person. I am no longer that uh, little boy running around, um, but I can tell you those memories are all fond. But I have changed. I have grown up, and the text we're going to be looking at, Ephesians 2, um, is a passage that shows a change. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was rough, with idolatry, with false gods, with... um, just idol worship. It was a rough city. And Paul is talking to the believers in Ephesus, and he is telling them in the first couple of verses of Ephesians 2, this is, this is who you were before Christ. This is who you were before Jesus saved you. And then he goes, this is who you are now. And it's a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture because I'm a simple man, so I like when things are concise and squeeze together. And Paul is able to squeeze the entirety of the Gospels within these 10 verses. So let's go ahead and just jump in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages his might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you today, God. We humbly, um, knowing, Lord, just looking at Ephesians 2, where we were before you saved us and where we are now. God, knowing that it is because of your grace we are able to wake up this morning. It's because of your grace that we are able to worship you. It's because of your grace that we are able to have a relationship with you. So, Lord, as we walk through this passage together, may you open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to know. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit continue to fill this place. Lord, I ask that I move out of the way and that you speak through me, God, that, that, that I am not speaking, but you are speaking. God, we thank you for this time. It's in your precious holy name. Amen. So Paul opens up with probably one of the greatest, most encouraging lines in the opening chapter of a book of the Bible ever. And it goes like this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Great start, right? Great start. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, all right? I always ask the kids pretty simple questions every now and then, but I always ask them, what can a dead person do? What can a dead person do? And they're pretty quick to answer, nothing. They can't do anything. They're dead. Paul is talking to us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then we see Paul go into a list. We see that we are in bondage to, to three things Paul lists. We have two coming at us from the outside and one actually inside of us. We see that all humanity is bound by these things. In which, you wish, in which you walked, the course of this world, so the world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now within the sons of disobedience, and then also living, lived the passions of our flesh. So we see that before Christ saves us, this is who we were. This is our testimony. The whole church's testimony is found within the words of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were bound to the world, to Satan, and to your very own flesh. Not the brightest gung-ho start to a chapter, but Paul is being blunt with us. He's wanting us to know, this is how bad off you were. You were following Satan himself. So we jump in. So we are dead. And as, as, as spiritually dead people, there's nothing we can do to get rid of this sin. We are walking in the course of this world. I don't have to tell anyone in this room about the culture that we live in today, about how the culture itself is actively fighting and trying to undo the order that God has created. That is what's happening today. The culture is trying to unravel the order, God's created order, and make it into its own image. So we're bound by the world. 
the desires of the world. We were following the culture. As the culture moved further away from God, so did we. We followed the culture. Then the second part, which I think is one of the things we don't think about enough as as non-believers, as those who are not saved by Christ yet, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is Satan. I was one time, I was in a seminary class. I'm sitting there. We're walking through Ephesians 2. I'm, I'm listening. I'm learning. It's a great class. And my professor goes, when you look at Ephesians 2, you see something. And, if you, and you're not going to like what I'm about to say. And I'm like, come on, professor. You, you, we're good. You got this. And he says, looking at Ephesians 2, before Christ, you were a worshiper of Satan. I was like, <clears throat> What? Hmm? Yes, before Christ, we were worshipers of the enemy. We followed the enemy. We were at the whim of the enemy. That's who we were. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were following him. We were worshipers of him. So we're bound by the culture. We're following Satan. And Paul says, among whom we all once lived. So Paul's not saying just the the people of, of Ephesus, but we all once lived like that. And then we get to the third thing. The passions of our flesh. So we have the world. We were, we were following the culture. As the culture moved further away from God, so did we. We were worshipers of Satan. We, we, we followed him. We bowed to him. We, we, when he said jump, we said how high and how many sins can I do while doing it? That's what we did. And then, inwardly, we're also bound by our own flesh, our own desires. There is nothing more counter-gospel than being inward, reflecting upon yourself and doing what you want to do. And Paul is saying that is how, that, that's what we were. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were bound to this desire. We wanted to do what we wanted to do because we could do it. And we were bound by it. Bound by the world. Bound by Satan, and bound by our very own flesh, our very own nature, which is inclined to sin. With that being said, that that leads to our first point in just seeing that the need for grace. The need for grace, because if we look at this picture, if we look at this picture and we see Paul is showing us just how bad off we truly were, just how bad we were, We were not in a good place. We weren't. And he finishes up by the end of verse 3 by telling us what we were before Christ. Not only are we bound to these three separate things, the world, Satan, and our very own desires and flesh, but by nature, we were children of wrath. By nature, your very innermost 
being, your nature, who you are, Paul describes you as a child of wrath, meaning that the wrath of God hung over your head justly because of the sin that you had committed, the rebellion that you had done against him. He calls you a child of wrath. I think Paul does a very good job in showing us just how bad off we were and how much grace we needed. He shows us that we were bound to the world. We were bound to follow Satan, and we were bound by our very own desires, and the wrath of God hung over us. Now, if Paul stopped Ephesians 2 right there, we'd be in big trouble. Because remember, we have to look back to the first verse where it says that we are spiritually dead. We have died because of our trespasses and our sins. So there is nothing that we can do to not be a child of wrath. There's nothing we can do to get rid of our sin. Nothing. Before Christ, we were spiritually dead. We walked the course of the world. We were worshipers of Satan, of the enemy, and our desires were inward. We wanted to further ourselves, not the kingdom of God. But then that leads into my second point. So our first point, of course, the need for grace. We needed grace. We needed, um, sometimes we speak Christianese, and we use words so often, we, we sometimes don't define them. And I think mercy, grace, love, faith, these words we use there so often, they just become almost bland to us. Grace, unmerited favor. So our second point the power of grace. You see, Paul does a great job setting up, this is who you were before Christ, this is how you were living, and the wrath of God was hanging over you, and there was nothing you could do because you were spiritually dead. Then we get to probably the two most beautiful words when they are put together in the Scriptures. Look at verse 4. But God. You were dead. But God, but God, God steps in. God sees us in our helpless state, and he steps in. For my, my Southerners out there, this is, this is the case of, I think I heard it once or twice when I was meeting my fiance's families. He's a nice guy, but right? You say something really, really nice, and then you go, but, and, and the but there just erases everything you previously said. Let's be honest. Michael could have easily gotten up here and said, Jake's this, 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 but, and you guys were like, oh, here we go. This is it. Everything you just said is now gone. That is what God is doing right here in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. That's what Paul is showing us. You were all these things, right? It's like a reverse compliment. He's telling you just how bad off you were, but, whew, it's gone. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
following the course of the world, gone. Being a worshiper of Satan, gone. Being bound by your own desires and your own flesh, gone. Why? Because of God. Because of his rich mercy. Grace and mercy go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. God showed mercy upon us because of the great love which, 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 which he has for us. He loved us enough that while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He did that. It wasn't us. It wasn't anything we did. It was all God. He is the one. And Paul clearly shows us in the second part of verse 5, or the end part of verse 5, by grace you have been saved. By unmerited favor of the God most high, you, myself, and every other believer has been saved. That is our testimony, church. That is what we cling to, is that I was a sinner, I was dead, but God saved me. God showed me favor. That is the gospel. By grace, you have been saved. Now, this is the cool part about grace. Is there's actually some benefits that we get to see, and Paul lists them out for us. So we start off this passage pretty much saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were pretty much walking, of course, the, the, uh, according to the world. You're worshiping Satan. You are uh, giving into your own desires of the flesh. God saves you from your helpless state. And then in verse 6, we see, and raised us up with him. So it's not just that he saved us. That's good enough right there. That we now have salvation through Christ alone because of the grace of God. But then he also raised us up with him. So not only are we saved by Christ, we're raised up with Christ, and we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We're raised with Christ, we're seated next to Christ, and we are, or excuse me, we're raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and, and now we get to partake in the inheritance that God has promised Christ. We are co-heirs with him. That is a huge change. That is a huge switch from verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians 2 and verses 4 through 7 in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2. It is by the unmerited favor of God that we are saved from our sins. And not only are we saved from our sins, but we are given a new status. We are raised up with Christ. We are seated next to him in the heavenly places. So that kind of leads to the natural question, well, why? Why would God do something like that? Well, we know, one, because of his great love, because he loved us. And then in verse 7, we go on, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So why did God save you? So that he could have the glory. 
Why did God save you from your sins? So that he would be glorified. That in the coming ages, people will look at you and they will glorify the Father. People will look at you and they will say, praise God. And that you look at yourself and you go, praise God. I am not who I was before. The immeasurable riches of his grace. Church, that is, that is what we are called to go out and to show the world every day. The immeasurable riches of his unmerited favor. You see, Ephesians 2, I, I honestly, I don't know how anyone could ever really believe in a work-based religion. Or even in, even in Christianity itself, sometimes we fall into the trap of, we need to do more. I'm not doing enough. I need to earn God's favor. I need to earn the salvation that he has provided for me. We fall into that trap. Ephesians 2 blows a hole right in that, doesn't it? Here's the thing, church. You will never be enough. All the good things you do, you can pile them up. They will never be enough for you to be forgiven of your sins. But here's the good news. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. We don't need to fall or believe the lie of the devil when he says you need to do more. You need to earn this salvation. No. Christ is enough. Christ's death upon the cross is enough for your salvation. And the reason why God has it set up this way is because we are glory-seeking creatures. We love, whether we know it or not, we love to be admired, we love to be looked at, and we know that if we could say, I saved myself, we would say it, right? We would boast about that. We would boast about that. But God doesn't have it that way. God is clearly telling us, especially in the first part of the passage, verses 1 through 3, you were dead. You couldn't do anything. But I stepped in. Because I loved you, I sent my son Jesus to die for your sins. And now because of him, because of his death and resurrection, you are saved. Because I want you to be saved. I give you my favor. I show you my grace and mercy through Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. That is what we are to proclaim. And that is what I feel Stephen has been proclaiming for over 50 plus years. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. But God stepped in. And God saved you. And now, because God alone is the one who saves, God alone is the one that deserves all the glory. He is the one that deserves all the honor. He is the one that deserves all the praise. Because it's him alone from whom our salvation comes. Christ alone. Which then leads into our third point, the results of grace. So we have the need for grace, we have the power of grace, and we have the results for grace. We see that and we find it in the ending couple of verses, chapters 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul, right out, right out of the bat, starting in verse 8, reminds us, you had nothing to do with your salvation. It was not dependent upon you. It was fully dependent upon him. For by grace, you have been saved. By that unmerited favor, God has shown you. Through the faith that we place upon his son, Jesus. This is not your own doing. Remember, all the glory, honor, and praise goes to God for this free gift of salvation. Not a result of works. Please, if you are here today, if you are sitting in this building, and you think, I'm good enough to get into heaven on my own, I am pleading with you. And I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can. You are not. I am not. No one in this room, no one in this world is good enough to get into heaven. It is by Christ alone that you get into heaven. It is by Christ alone that you are saved by God. Not your works. Not your works. You can do all the great things in the world. You can be one of the best people that ever walked the face of the earth. Dirty rags to God. Because of his grace. He doesn't want you to have to live that way. Always worried, have I done enough? When I die, will the cosmic scales fall in my favor? I do not want my eternity, eternity to be left to, I sure hope so. No, our eternity is secured in the blood of Christ. And our works have nothing to do with our salvation. But they are an outcome of our salvation. And that's what we see in verse 9. Now results of works so that no one may boast. Oh, excuse me, verse 10, I apologize. For we are his workmanship. This might sound familiar to some of you. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. So it's not that works get you into heaven. That is not... That is not the case at all in, in, in any sense of biblical terminology. Works do nothing for you for salvation. But you were saved by God's grace to do good works. The works don't get you in. They're what you do when you get in. All right? He has prepared those good works before the foundations of the earth. God saved you to do the good work of sharing Jesus with everyone you meet. God saved you to do the good work to go out and to proclaim and to further his kingdom. God saved you to do the good work of worshiping him. Those good works were prepared for you for the foundations of the earth. He saved you for those good works. And what a beautiful statement that we are his workmanship. That God worked on you. That God loved you so much that he did not want you to stay where you were. 
He saw you in your sinful, fallen state, and he said, that one. I love Jake. I'm going to save him. And I'm going to use him for the good works. Or Michael, or Katie, or any person in here. He saved us because he loved us. And we are his workmanship. He pours his love, his his eternal time, his grace and mercy upon us every single day. And just look at the switch we see. We go from being world-following, Satan-worship, desire-loving people to the workmanship of the Most High God. That exchange can only happen by the grace of God and by the blood of Christ. And I love how Paul kind of wraps everything up in a nice little bow for Ephesians chapter 2. Because you see, he starts it with saying what? And you were dead in your trespass and sins in which you once walked. And how's the end in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In a little bit, the band is going to come back up, and we're going to sing one final song. Church family, if you are here today and you are struggling with the idea that you need to do more to earn God's favor, throw that lie from the devil out. Get rid of it. That is not true. Christ was enough for your salvation. And if you're here today, and you might fall on the wrong side of that but God, if you're here today and you might realize that, man, I, I am I'm a sinner. I have rebelled against God, and I need a Savior. And I have been relying too much on the good things that I do. Be free from that. Please, be free from that thought that your good works get you into heaven. Christ gets you into heaven. And he is calling you. He died on the cross for you. And God has, has given this gift of salvation to you. He has shown you his unmerited favor. Church family, as we leave here today, let us remember that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we have been made alive in Christ. So as we leave here today, let us go out and be his workmanship and do the good works that he has asked us to do. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for this time we've gotten to come together just to dive into your word. God, we are humbled by what you have done for us. God, we are humbled by the, the grace that you show to us anew every morning. God, that we were sinners and we needed a Savior, and that Savior was Jesus. And God, that because of him, we now have a relationship with you. Our sins are now forgiven because you stepped in and you saved us. And God, we are now seated in the heavenly places with him, and we are now walking in the good works which he has prepared before us. God, we thank you for that great exchange. God, I thank you for Seaford Baptist Church and everything that it stands for, Lord, as it continues to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of this community, to the people of Virginia, to the nation, to the world. God, may we as just churches in this local area band together to further your kingdom. For we are not competing against one another, Lord, but we are on the same mission. God, to worship you and to make your name known. 
among those who need to hear it. It's in your precious holy name. Amen.